Pursue your purpose, speak your truth, deal with adult bullies, cope with failure, live beyond fear, establish values, set boundaries, move past trauma. These are all the themes in my Amazon bestseller, The Smart Girls Handbook. Tribers, get in close. For 15 years, I have been searching for a book that didn't exist. So I am thrilled to share that I decided to write it. The Smart Girls Handbook is available to buy now from wherever you get your books and also in Canada, the United States of America, New Zealand and Australia. Everything we do is a response to something you have asked for and girl have you been begging me for a book for years. Who is it for you? The reviews are outstanding, the press has been phenomenal and I am overwhelmed by the amazing support it has had already. This isn't my book but our book. I realised after my talks around the world women would be queuing for hours just to ask me one question. I didn't want them to just walk away but to have a tangible source to have forever and this is it. This is refreshing never before read content that will inspire, motivate, empower, inform and entertain you. It's full of my personal development tips that have got me living as my most authentic and highest self, literally glowing from within. My most vulnerable moments and hilarious stories that will resonate with you. The Smart Girls Handbook is a celebration of womanhood and the book missing from your library. So grab your copy today, tag me on Instagram at smartgirltribe and I will send you an exclusive gift just to say thank you. Hello everyone, happy June. I am so excited to reveal our next podcast guest, Tasha Bailey. Tasha is a qualified and accredited psychotherapist who specialises in trauma, identity and creativity in therapy. She is also the founder of Real Talk. In this podcast episode, we talk about emotions, how to embrace them, why we express ourselves the way we do, whether that's with anger or with tears, how our emotions are determined and what are some coping methods when going through a hard time. Tasha also provides the questions to ask yourself in order to explore the whole spectrum of your emotions. Hi Tasha, thank you so much for being here for the Smart Girl Tribe podcast today. Can you just share your story with our audience please and how Real Talk came about? Um, yeah, so I'm Tasha. Um, I am a child and adult psychotherapist. Um, and yeah, my training is very much kind of using creativity and using play and metaphor to help people heal from really difficult things. Um, and how Real Talk Therapist came about is, I think it was like the beginning, 2019, I thought actually, there's so many people that would benefit from therapy but the conversation around therapy is still really stigmatized it's still very clinical and the people that I want to work with maybe don't know that actually doesn't have to be that way so I decided to make this platform called Will Talk Therapist on Instagram where we just talk about you know what therapy is actually like and what mental health really is and in a really digestible relatable millennial way um I hate jargon so my kind of ethos is about kind of really breaking down the jargon and making it more relatable for everybody um and that became realtalk.therapist and people wanted that information so it's been really great to see it grow so let's focus on opening up nowadays. Do you think that opening up is something that people struggle with? 
Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think there's so many reasons why that happens. Um, but yeah, I think we do really struggle to find the language of uh, how to talk about our feelings or how to talk about when something's quite difficult. We go into like, I'm fine mentality quite easily. Um, or I notice, you know, when, when, when asking people, how are they, they often tell me how their work is or what they've been up to rather than actually, what are they actually feeling? So I think we haven't, we haven't grown up with it normalized mm. um, in this in society, but also I think particular families and cultures as well. Um, the conversation isn't, isn't a normalized conversation. Um, but I think a lot of people are now kind of getting into their 20s and 30s. That I think they're now kind of realizing that actually there's a gap here and I want to do better and do better for me. Um, so I think there's a real hunger for kind of emotional literacy and, and understanding what you need and boundaries and stuff like that. Having said that, who would you say primarily is your audience? Does it tend to be people in their 20s and 30s who just want to do better for themselves and who want to start setting boundaries and dealing with past trauma yeah definitely I think it is people who want to have the conversation but don't know where to start and particularly yeah that age range of what kind of 20s to 30s 40s as well um the kind of millennial generation mm-hmm. where you know the previous generation maybe weren't able to facilitate, facilitate those conversations and so we're now kind of looking back at that and trying to work at how do we do that for us and for the next generation mm-hmm. so a lot of people that kind of find me are people who are also kind of into like the Brené Brown stuff and reading self-help stuff or self-healing stuff like they're really kind of keen to, to learn more about themselves and others. Has social media had an impact on how much people will or won't open up do you think Mm, I think I think I think mostly it's allowed people to open up or to find ways to open up or to find community communities that they can open up to um I think it's definitely broadened a lot of perspectives um I think social media can be quite difficult because there's things that can be quite triggering on social media um I think that we can very quickly uh pathologize on social media so yeah so many people I've met before that have been like I think I have this disorder or this disorder because I saw it on a TikTok video so I think that that we need to be a bit careful I think the only person that should be pathologizing is a psychologist or a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. but I think in terms of the information that's out there it can be really really great for helping people have the language and to feel more comfortable to have those conversations with people and themselves. Do you think that it's opening up can be hard for people because as humans we maybe struggle to deal with emotions? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think so. I think what happens when you, when you ask me that question, I was just thinking about the brain. And the brain has three parts, but there's two parts I want to think about specifically. So the primal part of the brain, which is kind of like the back of the neck, um, that's kind of our early, our very early brain. So it's kind of very much all developed from, from really early childhood. It's where we feel fear. It's where we feel danger. Um, 
it's where we feel our really big, strong emotions. Um, it's kind of our fight flight responses. So if we are triggered or react to something, that's where it's coming from. And then the top of the brain, kind of like where the forehead is, that is our reflective capacity. And that doesn't fully develop until we're about 25, 26 years old. Um, so between the age of say so like teenagehood to like 25, our reflective capacity is still forming. It's not gonna be awesome. We're gonna be learning a lot of things. Um, we probably are gonna be quite reactive because we haven't yet got that process yet. Um, but when we do have it, that's where we're able to be like, oh, I'm angry about something and I'm angry about it because of this, this and this. And what I need right now is X, Y, and Z. You know, that very kind of uh, kind of caring conversation that you have with yourself or your emotion, with your emotions, that won't happen later on into your life. So I think when we think about, you know, it's quite hard to know what you're feeling or to express what you're feeling. It's because we're in that, we're in that process of kind of learning our reflective capacity and learn the language for how we express and think about and feel what we need to feel. That's so fascinating. Mm, and it can be really overwhelming as well. Mm. Um, you know, if you have a really big emotion and you don't know where it's coming from, that back of the brain is like saying, you know, mayday, mayday, something's going wrong. Like we need help, <laughs> but we have no idea what help we need. Like it's, it can feel really, really crisis point. Um, and it's through kind of lots of practice and lots of conversation with yourself, lots of reflection and asking for help, you know, uh, through doing all of these things, it will write, wire the brain wire the brain yeah mm -hmm. wire the brain so that your reflective capacity grows kind of quicker so because it's developed more or less as you said by 25 26 post 26 years old how are we living differently compared to how is our brain different to maybe when we're a teenager is it a very drastic change is it suddenly we're a lot calmer we're able to identify our emotions a lot more or is it something that maybe we don't even notice? Mm. I think it's something that we might notice in a really, really subtle way. Um, I mean, I think it's like that thing of like, when you're somewhere in my 30s, so I can reflect back and be like, oh gosh, when I was 18, I was like this and this and this. But at the time it didn't feel like, you know, it felt like I was doing, it felt like I was doing the best thing that I could mm -hmm. at the time. But now as a 30 plus year old, I can say actually I, sh I could have done this or this or this, you know, you there's more perspective. So it's a very kind of subtle change. Um, the other thing is that even, you know, even if you're 25, 26 plus, and you feel like that reflective capacity isn't quite there yet, don't panic. It The brain is always forming and changing and shaping itself. So that reflective capacity will, will still get, you, you will still get there. There'll just be a bit of a journey to get there. Yeah. Um, I think in adolescence, we're a lot more reactive. So we act from our feelings. We act from mm -hmm. whether it's anger or frustration. Uh, we act from our feelings rather than, oh gosh, I shouldn't shout at this teacher because then I'll get in trouble. It's like, no, I'm going to shout at this teacher right now. Mm -hmm. So that kind of almost patience isn't quite there yet. And as we get into adulthood, we're more able to do that and also more able to find things that regulate us, things that make us feel safe. So, you know, if, I know that if I'm angry about something, that there's certain things that I can do to kind of calm me down and soothe me so then I can then have the conversation of, with who I need to have it with 
uh, about my anger because my anger will be valid, but sometimes it, I should I shouldn't do it from a reactive place. I should do it from a reflective mm-hmm. place instead. To what degree are our emotions and how we respond to things determined by the people around us, i.e., parents, teachers, even friends, as we're growing up because I even see with myself some of the behavior and how I react to things in my head I'm thinking gosh that's how my mother would react to that Mm -hmm. so how much does come from the people around us when we're growing up so much so if you think that when you're in childhood or adolescence that your family is basically your world uh, they are who you spend most of your time with and and teachers and, and school as well like most of your time with they you know you're picking up so many things from them you're learning how to deal with the outside world as well so that thing of like oh gosh the way I responded is exactly how my mom would respond is because you've you've seen it and you've Mm. lived it and you've probably had it had that response given to you in a way so you're Mm. you're you're kind of then reacting it um so so much of we kind of absorb it and then the other thing is in terms of emotions and when it's difficult to talk about emotions if we've had a family environment where uh emotions are shut down or we're not allowed to speak about it or maybe anger is is more listened to than tears or the other way around you know these things we will we will we kind of create these internal rules in our head Mm -hmm. and it might be that we believe that vulnerability is not a good thing and that we're not allowed to be vulnerable and we have to be strong all the time and we can't talk about our feelings like we'll we'll pick up these little rules um and so I think a lot of then adulthood is being is noticing ah I have this rule in my head which tells me that vulnerability is bad and I think vulnerability shouldn't be bad so actually let me try and unlearn that so a lot of adulthood is unlearning the things that don't serve us serve us and the things that aren't good for us emotionally and mentally one thing I would love to ask about is tears and crying because everyone I have a conversation with they either struggle to cry or they cry a lot they find that they're very emotional so how is it determined or decided how we approach things through crying is that just is it something that's within us is it unique to every person is it dependent on what we witness around us and especially when it comes to women why do you think women struggle with either crying or finding themselves almost apologizing for being so emotional and crying a lot Mm, this is a juicy question um (laughs) uh so I think it's really individual to each person um I think it depends on the stories that we've heard or seen about tears so if we've had parents that are very open with 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 their tears and then our then our perspective would be quite different to someone who's never seen their parents cry uh it's really important that we have people around us who model that tears are okay and vulnerability is okay but if we don't have that it can be really difficult and we can then hold a lot of shame around crying so I've it's happened a lot where I've had clients who have cried in a session and their first response is to say I'm so sorry I'm crying and it's like well actually this is a space where you're actually allowed to cry so don't never apologize um so I think shame is a really powerful thing in you know where you said that some people some women kind of can cry a lot and some aren't able to at all and I think shame is something that's tied up in that a lot 
it might be a wall that does allow people to cry or give, give, give themselves permission to cry. Mm-hmm. The other thing um, you said about women, and I think there's something societally about women being, and I do in fact quotes like too emotional. And I think that this has, this perspective has been around for hundreds of years. I'm even particularly thinking about like Freud and many of his his patients were women who had melancholia, I think he called it, which was women who were just very, very emotional and very upset all the time. And, and that was a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's been this kind of history of diagnosing women as being too much or too emotional or too tearful. And I think because of that, as a society, women kind of are very aware of that even unconsciously and so there is this kind of internal judgment about what tears means what what Mm -hmm. tears mean and I think that also works for men as well I think a lot of men stop themselves from crying because of the kind of societal shame around it no completely I absolutely agree and humans can struggle with their emotions most I find when they are going through something hard so what would you be your advice Tasha for anyone listening who is going through a hard time at the moment Mm, I think uh the first thing is to pause um a lot of the time when we're going through something difficult we we try to kind of pretend that it's not happening or we try to kind of still go on with our usual routine Mm. like let's just keep it all going but actually you know I think a pause is really important it is saying, hey, look, I'm going through something really difficult. I need to look after myself and listen to myself. And then the other thing is sometimes, uh, sometimes we our emotions are difficult when we're going through something difficult, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it might be that something happened a year ago and then the emotions catch up with us now. So I think there's something about, again, like that pause will allow you to reflect back, wait, where is this sadness or anger coming from? Like, what, where can I pinpoint it? What do I need? Who do I need? How do I ask for help? And who do I ask for help? Um, I think they're really important questions because as humans, or as a, as a society, I think we, we think we should do things by ourselves all the time and we have to be really self-reli- self-reliant and independent. But actually, as humans, we're created to, to, to depend on each other. We need to be within our communities and in our societies and to lean on each other. You know, I think that's what that reflective capacity of the brain is for, so that we can empathise with each other. So that's kind of what I would say, you know, Paul's uh think about what you might need and who you might need and also be a bit compassionate be really compassionate to yourself and what's going on Mm -hmm. and does our brain differentiate between small challenges and big challenges or does it approach both of them very similarly Mm, I think this I think a big challenge for one person could be a like it, it it's so hard to name what a big and small challenge is. Mm. Um, like a small challenge might be a small challenge for me today, but next next week it might feel like a big challenge because it depends a lot on, on context. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we think about, for example, uh, last year, this last year and this year of COVID, maybe someone losing their job pre-COVID would be a big challenge, but it'd be a be, be a bigger even bigger challenge whilst in COVID and all the other Mm -hmm. stuff that's happening so I think it's really hard I think 
the brain will register it in terms of what is most stressful mm-hmm. um, and what tools you have. If something is really stressful, but you have a coping strategy, you have tools, you have people around you, you might not experience it as a big stressor at all. You might think of it as just like, okay, that's cool. I can, I can move through this. Mm-hmm. Whereas if something might be a small stressor or a big stressor and you have nobody around and no resources around, that's going to be really difficult and it's going to feel really difficult. So it's, it depends a lot on context and who's around you. And what would you say to someone who finds it challenging to deal with a lot of emotions they have? Mm. I think uh, if they have the resources, then therapy is a really great place to be and Mm -hmm. to to unpick that with someone who you can feel safe with and someone who's not going to judge you for any of those feelings and is going to actually going to actually going to welcome them into the space um if not individual therapy then maybe group therapy will be also a really great option mm-hmm. and if then therapy if cost-wise therapy is not an option then I think journaling is great um creativity is amazing is an amazing way of exploring your feelings so some people find it hard to name a feeling you know I don't know what I'm feeling right now maybe they could draw it or maybe they could find a metaphor or maybe they can create a playlist which which kind of defines a bit more of what they're feeling. Um, There's a really great tool uh, called the feelings wheel or the emotions wheel, one of those. And it's got like literally a wheel of all these feelings. There's so many. Um, And I tend to use that um, every now and again to check in with myself. You know, how am I feeling today? Uh, Okay, maybe I'm feeling sad. And then there's like 20 words that are, are kind of part of the sad family which mm. are other like you know like uh feeling low or feeling uh grief and all this stuff like it defines kind of really breaks down every feeling so that's a really great tool to use as well and what are some questions people could ask themselves to explore the whole spectrum of their emotions mm, I think uh I almost imagine it imagine it like having a conversation with someone or or being on a date with someone so almost picking the the emotion that is most uh prominent so for example it might be that I'm feeling frustrated mm-hmm. and it, almost imagine I'm on a date with frustration and finding out who frustration is uh where do they come from what do they want what do they need why are they showing up today um And then frustration, does frustration, is frustration connected with any other feelings? Is there a feeling underneath frustration that I also need to think about? Because a lot of feelings don't come, you know, one at a time. They they normally come in a cluster, Um, particularly anger. Like anger often comes with hurt or sadness or guilt or shame. So it's about really kind of delving a little bit deeper and find out what is coming in, what, what, what what emotions are kind of connected to you. Mm -hmm. at the time and being a therapist could you explain Tasha what therapy can offer that maybe other coping methods can't yeah so um therapy can offer you a space uh which is obviously private and confidential 
but it's essentially it's a space where all of your feelings are welcome all of your stories and narratives are welcoming experiences um and that person is is solely your person you know they they are there to take your side they're there to see your perspective and challenge it at times as well they're there to help you find a language um so that you can feel better equipped in the world um I think it's a very unique place um I think the great thing about therapy as well is that there's so many different types and not every therapist will be your therapist you know that you not every style will be your style so it's about finding dating around and finding out you know who is a therapist for you how do you feel therapy is depicted through the media Tasha i.e in films I've seen many films where there are therapists in it do you feel that films in particular or maybe even tv shows do you think they tend to get it right or do they get it wrong uh (laughs) I get a bit judgy about therapists on tv um (laughs) they I it's very rare that I've seen one that I've been actually no there's there was one that comes to mind there's a there's a show on Netflix called Unbelievable mm-hmm. which came out last year it's about sexual abuse and there was a therapist in there that I thought oh you're you're awesome you're kind of like my style of therapist but outside of that it, it often does it's often yeah it's, it's not often not a real reflection of what it's like mm. I think it's really hard to capture therapy I think I think um every relationship between client and therapist is so unique and so magical and different and so it's really hard to capture that on a tv show okay um unless there's a tv show which was just about a therapist and client maybe that could work but I think if it's snippets it's really really hard to capture what it really would really feel like and be like I would love for you to talk about this I don't think it's a myth but I've seen therapists a lot as fictional characters in tv shows i.e girls for example which was quite Mm -hmm. mainstream even sex and the city at the time um and then even huge films such as there's one with Lindsay Lohan, uh, Freaky Friday, that uh-huh. one. Um, and I would love to know, because I'm sure I get asked, I know that I get asked this by a lot of people when I talk about therapy. Is it someone sitting opposite you? Do they ever provide solutions or are they just there to listen? I'd love to debunk that if that's a bit of a myth. I would just love for you to explore that, Tasha. Mm. So I think this depends a lot on the type of therapy, type of therapist. Mm -hmm. And also it depends a lot on the therapist's uh, individual perspective and and their kind of approach and personality. Uh, But generally, therapy is a space where you're being listened to and you're being heard. And that person isn't necessarily going to give you the answer because they want to empower you to find the answer Mm um I think there's something that it can be a relief in the moment to have an answer but at the same time it's not an answer that you that came from you Mm. so if it goes wrong you know the first (laughs) person you're going to blame is your therapist Mm -hmm. um rather than actually I should have trusted myself and trusted what my gut was saying which is I should have done x y and z so I think there's something about uh yeah most of the time it's about empowering the client um some I think many therapists will give tools 
and will give coping strategies or will suggest things but nothing is you know nothing is by bible you you don't Mm. have to you're not forced to you know it's an invitation but it's not you know you're not forced to take up that advice or that suggestion Hi Tribers, having met you at the Smart Girl Tribe Summit, I know how much you love stationery and I have searched high and low for a stationery brand that is empowering, inclusive and thoughtfully designed, which is why I am so excited to share Seth Crafts. Not only will Seth Crafts handmade journals and planners help you become intentional about planning your day, but you'll be able to seamlessly track your goals, accomplishments, and even your monthly budget. I opened up in the Smart Girls Handbook about my burnout and the importance of developing a bulletproof self-care routine, and Seth Crafts has been lovingly created to achieve exactly that with zero guilt. Head to the show notes after the episode to see for yourself and as a bonus with the code SGT10, you will get a 10% discount off any product. And for anyone who is very introverted or for anyone unable to financially afford therapy, what are maybe some other ways that people can deal or walk through their emotions? I would say... um if you if if therapy is an option you know it's maybe about scheduling time with yourself in the same way so you know if you have a therapist you would see them every Thursday at 9am or something so could you schedule a time every week the same slot every time where it's just you and yourself Mm. uh, and you're having a conversation with yourself and you might journal you might go on a walk in nature you might draw or paint but something where you're actually you know nobody can disturb you in that moment your phone is off or or in the other room and you're just having a conversation with yourself and allowing things to come up if that feels a little bit scary then it might be an idea to look at journal prompts Mm -hmm. um which might be more directive or to do things like a healing course or 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 read a book which is kind of about healing and therapy something that will kind of at least uh yeah get the conversation going internally for you Mm -hmm. and as a therapist what self-care rituals do you believe are the most effective Mm. um I know what is most effective for me Mm -hmm. um and I think I think it changes a lot for every person I think that there are a lot of things that I can invite people to try but it's not going to work for everybody so I think it's about really trying things okay that worked for me that didn't work for me or that worked for me this moment but not for that moment it's really about just kind of collecting a bit of a backpack of things or a toolbox of things for me personally um nature is huge um I live in London so it's very it's very housey and mm-hmm. building-y but wherever I can I try to go into a green space especially if I'm, if I'm having a difficult week or different difficult time um trees actually have these kind of hormone chemical things that are released which are great for our mental health our well-being our digest our digestion and our sleep so um you know just being around greenness and trees is really really great um sometimes I do draw sometimes I write poetry um music is a huge thing for me as well 
and then just asking for help or asking for listening air in my own life um Mm. I have lots of kind of great people who are well I have friends who are therapists so I'm quite lucky in that sense but Mm. um there's also something about you know I I have people who who I know who I know have capacity um or I can ask you know do you have capacity to to listen to me at this moment um and there's something about really being honest with myself as well so if I know that I'm doing a bit too much I know that I need to kind of strip it back and take some rest so yeah This is something I tend to advise our community a lot. I feel as women, we're not really encouraged to listen to our intuition. And I feel that that we need to center a lot more and be just a lot more in tune with ourselves. Because if we went about our day asking ourselves, what does my body need today? Or how long does my body need to rest for today? Or what's my body asking for it to eat today? I feel that we would approach life very differently so I appreciate that advice a lot and when it comes to grief there are different stages which are pretty famous now is it the same when we go through something hard are there stages Mm. um I'm not I so I wouldn't say that there were stages Oh, they're 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 at, they probably are stages, but I, I I think of it more in terms of there are ways that we try to cope. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're in if so if we've gone to, if we've gone for something quite difficult, then uh, our body is what feels it. Um, our mind might kind of move on to the next thing, but our body is what is stuck with that trauma with that difficulty. And if it's left unprocessed or if it's left that we don't feel safe enough to talk about it, then our body will go into like one of four trauma responses. And that might be fight. So kind of lots of rage or acting out. Um, It might be flight. So lots of avoidance or running away or trying to keep really busy with work. It might be fawn, which means kind of people pleasing. Um, So we might smile a lot more. Um, but in a non-genuine way, um, we might be a lot more kind of jokey or just try to smile it off and try to avoid conflict as much as possible. It sounds like that's a quite a nice one, but it's not. It's kind of really full on people pleasing. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that we then end up kind of never attending to our own needs. And then the last one is freeze. So this is where uh, we might completely shut down or dissociate or, you know, we might go into hibernation in some shape or form so our body will go into one of those four uh, or maybe even more than more more than one uh, stages until we can feel safe enough to process it and explore it and processing it might look like talking about it or reflecting on it or just having someone and people around who make you feel safe and remind you that actually yes this difficult thing has happened but this difficult thing is not who you are there's so much more to you mm. and there will be so much more to you um so yeah that's kind of how I think about it. not so much in stages but also almost like this the season that happens um that we need to kind of break through out or break out of I've heard a lot and we've shared a lot on the podcast about how to deal with if you are in the first two, if you fight things or if you're in flight mode. But for the last two you mentioned, I haven't actually 
spoken to anyone about that. So for anyone listening, almost having a bit of an epiphany, thinking, oh my gosh, Tasha has just tuned into who I am. Mm. I tend to approach things like this. What would you recommend for anybody who is now thinking, oh my gosh, what do I do next? Quite clearly, I have been people pleasing and smiling or I've been hibernating. Mm, I think um, notice it and don't be mad at yourself (laughs) it is a unconscious thing you know you didn't decide it your body is doing it to protect you and look after you so you know thank your body you know thank your body for giving me this defense and uh finding this way to look after me however I want to find some other ways that I can move forward so um you know I think where trauma gets stuck in the body the best place to heal is from the body so that might be you know uh walking and talking in nature it might be you know yoga is a really great thing for releasing uh energy and and trauma out of the body um but also you know find someone that you can tell your story with Mm -hmm. um that can bring a real sense of empowerment How can someone prepare if they know they are about to go through a hard time, if they can feel it approaching, whether it be super obvious, for example, and we've experienced this a lot during during COVID, knowing that someone close to us is about to pass away, or it can be very subtle and very, well, not really subtle, but maybe quite sudden. So for example, if they feel that they're about to lose their job, but they're not quite sure. So what would your advice be for anyone who wants to prepare if they know they're about to go through a hard time? Mm. So I think uh, slow down. Uh, It can be really tempting to rev things up uh, in preparation, but actually try and slow down. Um, Try and find time for you in all of it you're you probably will be thinking about so many things and planning so many things and trying to put things in place but try and find a time for you where you can just be and sit with your feelings um don't try to squash them down just be with them and respect that they're there for a reason and that they're telling you something it is hard it's going to be hard and well done for being human um so something about you know just sitting with it for a moment maybe writing it down or talking to somebody um and and see if there is you know what is in what is in your control what can you do uh to look at what can you do to look after yourself but also to what's happening and the things that aren't in your control put those to the side as much Mm -hmm. as you can you know they you can come back to those when they feel more tangible One thing I would love to ask you, Tasha, is we analyze people a lot now. We tend to categorize people according to their star sign, their enneagram, their attachment style. Having worked with people for so long as a therapist, do people who have the the same star sign, enneagram or attachment style approach their emotions and deal with tough times the same or is everyone actually really unique? Are there any similarities between them? Mm, I think I think it's quite a unique thing, but I think there is something about uh, these kind of boxes uh, that we can put 
put to ourselves and sometimes it gives us comfort or gives us a sense of okay yep I know who I am it gives us a sense of identity but the, the thing to remember is that we change as people we evolve we go through seasons so you might be one attachment style in your teens and you might be a different one in your 20s and a different one in your 40s and 50s you know we change and we evolve because we have different life experiences as we grow so I think it's really important to to be to remember that you know yes I might be an avoid attachment style now but there's things that are changing and I'm having new experiences which means my mm-hmm. attachment might change and shift alongside